0: And for you older folks sticking sticking around here, let's get Jeremiah chapter 22, please. Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah 22 and verse number 13 is where we'll begin. As many of you know, we started a series called Tricky Topics. And these topics uh, pertain strictly to things going on in a church. There are all sorts of tricky topics in life, but so far we've talked about music, we've talked about dress standards for church, some of the things that are sometimes difficult to talk about in, in church. So we're dealing with them all in one go in this series. Today we're going to begin talking about how to help the poor. How do you deal with people that are maybe begging or people that are suffering in, in the you know part of our church family, uh, having a bad time of it financially? How do we view this? And I think all of us can attest to this. This is not an easy subject. There's not one simple answer that you just throw at every situation. Uh, So let's begin looking at this. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 13. The Bible says, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work. So you see what's happening here. A man works an honest day and he doesn't get a paycheck. So there's some corruption going on. Verse 14, That saith I will build me a wide house and large chambers, and cutteth him out windows, and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. So this is a beautiful house he's made. Verse 15, Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar so you think because you have the nicest house that means you get to be the king does that mean you get to make the rules because you have the money he goes on to say did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice and then it was well with him so your dad right previous kings and so forth yes they might have had a nice house and they might have had money there's nothing wrong with that that's not a sin but to think because I have money that means I get to make all the decisions and all, all of my decisions are therefore right because I have money that's an incredibly false conclusion he says your dad the reason he was a great man is not because of the great house that he had it's because he had a great heart towards God and he was interested in doing what was right judgment and justice In every area of life verse 16 he judged the cause of the poor and needy then it was well with him was not this to know me saith the Lord now I start us in this passage and by no means are we going to finish today I'm we might even go three weeks on this subject there's a lot in the Bible on this topic I wanted to start here with this passage in Jeremiah because in verse 16, 15 and 16 really, you get this very broad general statement that you can live right so that you can know God better. I'm putting that general thought out there. You want to live right so that you know God better. Part of living a righteous life, verse 16, is judging the cause of the poor and needy. You cannot just turn a blind eye to that. God does not turn a blind eye to people in need and people suffering. So therefore, if you want to walk with the God of heaven, the God of the Bible, you need to be interested in the same things He's interested in. How can two walk together except they be agreed? God looks at the cause of the poor and needy. And that's going to be the emphasis throughout this particular topic is we need to be careful to judge the cause of the poor and needy. This is not going to be two or three weeks of me badgering you to open up your wallets and purses and give away all your money to the poor. This, I hope, what what I'm hoping to accomplish is to show you biblically how we properly judge the cause of the poor and needy. So I'm going to show you some other verses just to kind of get us started with this, lay some foundation, but then we're going to take our time and look at why certain people are poor. Before you start handing out money, you need to ask some questions. Why are you so poor? Because that will greatly determine what you do next in helping them. Because whatever the reason is that they're poor, you should want to help but helping them may not be handing them money. Okay. Amen? They might need you to hand them some wisdom, right? To, to give them some wisdom. You might need to teach them how to work. You might need to help them straighten other things in their life out. So that's what we're hoping to accomplish here. Now come to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23, and we'll begin... Let's in verse 3, let's look there. Exodus 23 and verse 3. Throughout the law, God made several um, commandments about how to treat the poor. This is one of them. Verse 3, neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. Now I know that's a bit of old English there, so let me put it in more modern English. To countenance. A poor man or to countenance anyone is to look on them with favor right to show them a special favor maybe you remember this phrase elsewhere in the Bible to show of persons so here's what in this context what it would be you look at the guy and say oh he's poor so I tell you what no matter what he's asking for no matter what made him poor I am going to help him I'm going to give him whatever he asked simply because he's poor. And the Bible is here commanding us, don't don't take his poor status and let that be the only factor in your decision-making for why you help him. You need to hear the whole cause. Now come down to verse number... uh, Well, you know, before we get to verse 6, can I ask you to hold your place in Exodus 23? We are going to come back to that. Get Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to show you a a biblical illustration of being partial in judgment to a poor man and where it would be wrong. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 30. Now this happens sometimes where a poor man will commit a crime. And he does so because he's a bit desperate. He's poor. That's why he committed the crime. And the temptation will be to say, oh, shame, you did that because you're poor. So since you are poor and committed a crime, we're not going to punish you. Why? Because you're poor. Well, wait a minute. The poor guy committed a crime. Yeah. Is, is it legitimate to say, if I have a good reason for breaking the law, don't punish me? Is it, w- now, this is where it gets a bit tricky. You have to hear the whole thing out and take all the factors into consideration. Proverbs 6, look at verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. Now, for most of us in the room today, we have never been so desperately hungry that we will do anything for food. Break laws, steal, hurt other people, right? Some of you maybe have hit that that point in life. But I think all of us can appreciate the fact that if you're hungry enough, you will get desperate. And we understand, right, if somebody's stealing because they're hungry, we may not condone it, but we understand it. Yes. You you can at least go, yeah, I get it. I see where that came from. But look at verse 31. But if he be found, he shall do what? Walk away scot-free. Don't blame him. Listen, he's poor. No, see, that's not how you handle it. He says, if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He still has to pay for that crime it was a crime if you're poor and you're desperate there are biblical and right ways to go about satisfying those needs we understand it you were desperate but it doesn't make your actions right see verse 31 he'll, he'll restore sevenfold he shall give all the substance of his house even if this makes his situation at home a little more difficult he should have thought that through before he went and stole something. Say, well, he, you know, he's poor, he's desperate. Yes, but that just because you're poor does not give you an excuse to be foolish. Amen. All right, come back to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23 and verse 6. Now he says here, thou shalt not rest the judgment of thy poor in his cause. So in verse 3, this is kind of like one coin with two sides. In verse 3, he's poor, he's done something wrong. Don't show him favor and respect of persons just because he's poor. He still needs to be punished for the crime. Now the other side to that coin is maybe the guy's innocent. right? But because he's poor, he doesn't have the means to go get a good lawyer and defend himself in court. Or maybe, and you guys know this is true, poverty and uneducated, how can I say that? Undereducated, right? If somebody's poor, often they don't get the proper education they need, and people will take advantage of that and say, listen, you just don't know, they don't know the system. So you cut their pay, like we read in Jeremiah, they work a full day's, you know, hard work, but you don't give them their proper pay. He says, hey, just because they're poor, don't take advantage of their poverty or maybe their lack of education to twist the law so that you can get out of paying them properly. Don't rest the judgment of thy poor in his cause. If he has a legitimate case, don't, don't cheat him just because he's poor and can't defend himself properly. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11, a slightly different topic, but, or uh, let's say a different aspect of the poverty issue. Verse 11, but the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still, talking about the land, that the poor of thy people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal with thy vineyard and with thy olive yard. So whether it's your field, your vineyards, your olive yards, he's saying, guys, make room in your budget to help the poor. I'm showing you that verse. This is, again, a very overarching general principle but God takes care he, in, in the law to say make sure that you are watching out for those that are less fortunate. Okay, Now, let's turn to the New Testament side of this. Come to Acts chapter 4 because what we want to focus on is how do we as a church approach this tricky topic. I'm showing you the heart of God in this. You don't show them special favor just because they're poor right? to bypass wrongdoing. You don't cheat them because they're poor. You make provision for them. Make a plan to help them, right? That's what God did. He made a plan to help them. Did you notice what we just read in Exodus 23? He says, on the seventh year, don't work the field. Let the poor come in and just grab what they can out of the field, right? They're not stealing. They're just going to grab what they can with their hands and put, you know, just walk off with something to eat that day. He says, and whatever is left, if anything's left, then let the animals eat. Did you notice that? Do you know how often our dogs eat better than a lot of people in this town? It's just something to think about, right? We make room in our budget to feed our animals. And I'm not telling you not to. But should we then not at least consider the cause of the poor and say maybe we can make room in the budget for them as well? All right, so Acts chapter 4, verse 34. The church needs to be aware of these These needs. Acts 4, verse 34. Neither was there any among them, that's the church, that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. What were the rules for distribution? It was at the apostles, the church leadership, they had to make some judgment calls. They had to use some discretion. Jesus did not hand the apostles a list of rules and say, you know, these poor, these, these poverty situations, this is how you handle them all. They had to pray their way through, they had to listen to each cause and do the best they they could to make provision. Let let's be careful we make a distinction here. In Exodus, God is giving laws to a nation that that was the government for Israel every government should have a plan for taking care of underprivileged people that that is part of a government's responsibility now we are talking about a church we are not a humanitarian aid organization we're not that is not our primary purpose that does not mean we ignore the needs of those around us obviously you can sell some things even if, if, that's, if it gets to that point so that others get taken care of. If, I'm, if you don't mind me slipping in a quick thought, you know, people sometimes they get a little nervous about what's expected in a New Testament church. You know, about church membership. You know, what do we expect out of church members? Well, here's a biblical example of what we expect from church members. <laughs> Selling houses and lands. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying... <laughs> If you want to do it all, just verse by verse through the Bible, there we go. But that's how important they, the early church took this, this uh, matter. Um, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. As you turn the page, let me remind you of a, a verse in Psalm 112. The Bible says, A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Now, for years, I only obeyed half of that verse. And I think many of you have probably heard me talk about it. When I first got to Malawi, people would ask for help, and there are lots of people that need help there. I wanted to be a good man. I wanted to be a, a, a good Christian. I wanted to be helpful. So I just said yes, 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 yes to every need. I came home one day. I said, honey, what's for dinner? She said, nothing. I thought, well, hey, what, where, <laughs> why haven't you made dinner? She said, because you didn't leave behind any money for groceries. I said, where's the money? She said, you gave it all away. I I hadn't been paying attention. I was just saying yes, yes, yes. I was not guiding our affairs with discretion. I was just saying yes. See, I wasn't considering the cause. I was just trying to do something about it. So, now that was me as an individual And I'll tell you who helped me a lot. He's here today. I I called Brother Dobbins because he's been in Africa longer than me. I said, Brother, how do you handle these situations? I'm obviously doing something wrong. It wasn't deep wisdom he gave, but it was very helpful, very needful. He said, Brother Mike, when they come and ask, the answer is I'll pray about it. Because that gives you time to consider it. Now, see, there's a lot of wisdom in that. It's not real deep, but very helpful. Let me pray about that. And before you go to praying about it, you need to hear what the story is. See, get the information, go to pray, and then sometimes the answer will come back, no, I'm sorry, I can't help with this. Don't just indiscriminately throw out a yes. Uh, So Acts chapter 6, and the same thing goes for the church. We can't say yes to every request that people have. Acts 6 verse 1, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So every day the church was handing out food to the widows. Verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, business not in the sense of let's make money out of this, but there's a humanitarian need. The widows genuinely need help, and the church would like to help the widows in the church, not every widow in Israel. You see the difference. Because the reason I point that out, you'll have a lot of people that show up to church as a visitor, knock on the door and go, hey, oh, I'm, oh hey, I need something. Right? And then they come with a story. And sometimes, especially you know, as, as a church that wants to have an open heart and help people, we just want to say yes, but that may not be the right thing to say. So please understand that these people getting help in verse 1 and 2, these are people that were established in that church already. The church knew these widows. They weren't just handing out food to anybody that walked by. Now notice how the apostles distinguish here between the physical temporal bread that they're handing out and the spiritual eternal aspect of their ministry. The church's primary function in this world is a spiritual one. That is our main business, helping people with uh, something to eat and drink and to put on. We don't ignore it, but it's not the primary reason we have a church. Look at verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So yes, they made a plan for the poor, but not to the detriment, right? Not to get out of balance with giving out the Word of God, praying for people, and so forth. Look at Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 3. All right, so Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. There's a a beggar sitting at the gate. In verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. Alms is like an offering for the poor. Verse 4, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him uh, with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So he thinks Peter has gotten my attention because he wants to give me some money. Guys, a lot of times when a poor person comes and says, please help, you want to give them the gospel. Just be aware of this. We we can't be so naive to think this person is listening intently because they want to hear the gospel. They are going to fasten their eyes on us and they're going to give heed to what we're saying because if I give them enough time to say whatever they want to say, I'll get the money I need, and then I can go. That's why you have to use some discretion. You have to. You can't just jump to a quick answer of yes. you got to know that they, they might be playing you. Isn't that a reality? Aren't we allowed to tell the truth about that? After we've been burned a few dozen, maybe a hundred times on that situation, we, we, you'd think we'd learn... We don't want to grow hard-hearted to where we just walk by the guy begging and go, "Ah, we don't care because the last 10 beggars that asked something lied to me, so that means you're lying. You can't do that. That's, you don't want to let your heart get hard like that. But just be aware that they, <clears throat> they might be listening because they're waiting to get something. Now, verse 6, Then Peter said, he's a good preacher, Silver and gold have I none. Amen. <laughs> I'm broke. I ain't got no money. Now, look at how he leads into that. That, that, there's a lot of wisdom to this. Listen, man, I'm just telling you, I ain't going to give you any money because I ain't got nothing. Now, if he continues to listen, you might actually have something. See, but if you right off the bat tell him, I, I'm sorry, man, I, cannot, I have nothing to give you. I'm not going to help. Here's a gospel track. Once you've established that you're not going to give them something, watch how they, if they're still interested, okay, go ahead. But you'll find more often than not, they'll just move on. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Now, you may not have that apostolic ability of just laying hands on anybody at random. Wouldn't that be nice, right? That would be a great way to minister to the poor and needy, but what do you have that you can give them? You can introduce them to Jesus Christ, and that is a legitimate way for a church to help the poor. Don't downplay that. Don't think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cheating them out of something. Not necessarily. That might be the exact thing they need. <clears throat> Come to Mark chapter 14. I think you'll have a good illustration of it here. Mark 14 verse 7. Mark fourteen seven. you might remember Jesus is at this, uh, in, in Simon the leper's house, and a woman has come in and broken the box and anointed Jesus for his burial. She's wrought a good work on me. Verse 7, for ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye, will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. Jesus himself makes a distinction between doing doing something with your money for him compared to doing it for the poor. Do you see the difference? Now, remember Matthew chapter 25? Jesus said, if you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Is there a connection? Sure, you can help the poor for the sake of Christ. There, There is a connection there. But we have to make a distinction between being that humanitarian aid group where all we're doing is handing out clothes and food, we must put something with the gospel into that. Otherwise, we're not functioning as a church. We're just a relief organization. Proverbs chapter 28, you don't have to find it. Let me just give you the verse. In verse 27, it says, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Let me read it again. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. You cannot ignore the fact that people are hurting and need help. You just can't. You got to, I say we, because we're talking about a church this morning. We have to do something. All right, so let me shift a little bit here. You can get Matthew chapter 11. Let me give you an illustration to set this up. Um, Let's see. Osler, we don't have two me with us, but how many of you are pretty good at working on cars? Fairly decent? Absolutely. Okay, well, Botma's here. He knows. Anybody else? And the rest of you are like me. Tony Marion, I saw your hand go up. Okay, we got a little mechanic up here. That's good. I don't think you have to be that good at cars to know this part. You'll get this illustration, but let's say you go to, you take your car to the mechanic and you say, Sir, you know, I've been driving my car. Something smells weird. I, this, it's a strange burning smell. Every time I turn the key, you know, I've, I've popped the, we call it a hood. What do you call it, a bonnet? That just sounds so feminine, the bonnet. I, I popped the bonnet, the pretty little bonnet. Anyway, I, I, I lifted the bonnet, and I checked. And, and when I do, I see, I see some smoke coming up. It just smells burnt. I, something's just wrong. Can you please check it out? So the mechanic checks it out. And you know how the mechanics do. They have you go wait somewhere else. Rarely do they let you watch what's actually happening there. So the mechanic checks it out and he comes back. He says, Ah, sorry, sorry, sorry. You need a new engine, brand new engine. Now, what he found is you never checked the oil. And the oil had, you know, little by little leaked out and you were running on just nothing, no oil. The piston's going up and down, just creating friction, and that's where the heat and the burning smell was coming from. Rather than explain that to you, he just says, yeah, you need a new engine. Do you need a new engine? Yes, actually. You destroyed the other one. (laughs) That was completely on you. You should have checked. It's your responsibility as the owner of that vehicle to maintenance that vehicle. I think that's an amen moment, right? Maybe we should park on that for a little while, but that's your responsibility if it's your car. So let's say that the mechanic says, you need a new engine. He says, okay, fine. And then the mechanic says, tell you what? Just to be nice, I'm going to put a brand new engine in it for you for free. I just want to help you out because shame. You, you, you just look like you're going through a rough time. Brand new engine, poom! But never tell him about the oil. Never tell him why you ruined the other one and then send them away you know it's probably going to happen in due time that same guy will be back at the shop going yeah you know what I lift the I lift the bonnet and I smell the same smell I I had back last year you know right you know three years ago it's the same thing can you help me again and that mechanic well-intentioned trying to help is going to continually waste money on more and more engines whereas if the mechanic would say dude put some oil and check the oil. That would solve the issue. If you educate the man on how to take care of the engine, you save yourself and him a lot of trouble. Doesn't that make sense, right? That's not a deep illustration. So what I want to say when we're dealing with the poor is the, the poor man comes and says, yo, my life is a wreck. I'm struggling this and that has gone wrong. You don't want to just take a look at it and go, oh, shame. It does look like you're going through a rough time. Here, here's a Here's a bag full of cash. This ought to get you going. This will get you down the road for another year or two. You know what's going to happen? A year or two later, he's going to be right back going, it's all gone again. I don't know what's going on. You need to examine and then explain. Everything leaked out of your bank account because, and then give him the ABCs of it so that he can legitimately get back on his feet. So Matthew chapter 11 In verse number 5, Matthew 11 and verse Uh, 5, let's begin at verse 4. Forgive me, John the Baptist is in prison. He's starting to have a couple of doubts uh, whether or not Jesus is the Messiah. Now, without getting into the entire context, let me just tell you that he sends a couple of his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you indeed the Messiah? Jesus answered verse 4 and said unto them, go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see, the blind... What what do blind people need? Sight. Sight, right? So the blind receive their what? Sight. And the lame. They're not able to walk. So guess what the lame get? The lame walk. Lepers, what's wrong? They're unclean. Isn't that what they had to call out? Unclean, unclean. Look at the next thing. And the lepers are? Cleansed. What does a deaf person need? They can't hear. So what do, the deaf What? here. The dead guy out there in the grave. Well, he's got lots of issues, but <laughs> the most immediate thing is he needs to get back out of the grave. So, the dead are raised up. You see what's happening? Jesus looks at what that person, what their biggest need is, and then he helps them with that need. And the poor have money given unto them. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. It says the poor have the gospel preached to them. Isn't that interesting? You know what that poor guy... It could be this, right? Now I'm going to make an umbrella statement and for the next rest of this class and probably next week and the week after, maybe we'll flesh this out even more. The reason that guy is poor probably has to do with some holes in his character. There's something wrong in his life, something he's doing that's wrong. Not always, but a lot of times he's poor because he made some bad moves. And if he would just get to know God properly, which you do that through the gospel, if he would get things right with God, that would straighten out how he is mishandling his money. I'm not saying it would make him rich. This is not a prosperity gospel kind of thing, not at all. But that would fix the whole putting oil in the engine. And then he can maintenance the rest of his life like that. All right, so let's begin looking here. Let's begin looking. Uh, Luke chapter 15. I'll show you just a couple of them. You know, there was a time when um, some blind guys were, they heard that Jesus was passing by and. They cry out, Thou Son of David, have mercy on us. Do you guys remember that story? Thou Son of David. You know, they said, Shut up, shut up. Don't bother the Messiah. They cried out louder, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stops and he, he asks the strangest question to them. He, he looks at these blind guys and says, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? <laughs> what exactly do you want? Well, I mean, um, uh, I'm... <laughs> hello, I mean, I'm mean, i blind, isn't it obvious what I need? You know, for some folks, it's not obvious what they need. Amen, it's not obvious what they need. They have it in their mind, I need this, when no, 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 actually, money is not what you need. You might need a good smack behind the head. <laughs> Say, man, booty, this is your fault. You need to learn from your mistakes before we just set you up with a bag of cash. So Luke chapter 15, let's, let's look at why some people are poor. We're just going to scratch the surface here, but Luke 15 verse, I, I, I think you know the parable, the prodigal son, the Falurcian. verse 13, not many days after the younger son gathered all together, now that's all the father's inheritance, and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. So here's what I want you to do. Right, you got somebody coming to you and say, "How, you know, please help me." You need to stop and listen. What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Well, I want money. Well, what happened to your money? Start asking a few questions. Get to know them. At least do them. At least give them the the uh, opportunity of telling their story. And if you hear a story like this in each case, you're going to see how to properly handle it. So this guy wasted his substance with riotous living. That's the party life. He went out every night drinking, dancing, you know, bar all of that women and off, off the money goes. Verse number 15, or forgive me, 14. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. He's, he's lacking. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine, which if you're a Jew... And you're not supposed to touch a pig. And now you got to go feed the pigs. This is just humiliating. Verse uh, 16. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Watch this part. Please underline it if you want to. And no man gave unto him. You know how you help the Philurcian? Don't give him anything. You walk over there to that pig pen and go, shame. Man, look at this miserable position you're in in life. Let me just be a help to you. You're not helping. You would prolong his time in the pig pen. Verse 17, look what comes right after that. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. So he actually had time. This this is what jolted him. To say, you know what? Those people that are working a job, they got enough. I don't. And that, the end of verse 16, is what brought about the beginning of verse 17. He came to himself because no man gave unto him. Consider that the next time somebody comes and says, I need help. Are you the prodigal son? Because if so, what the, help, the help you need is you need to come home. You need to come to the Father's house, get right with God, and maybe take a position as a hired servant. Okay, let's look at another one. Proverbs chapter 21. <clears throat> Proverbs 21. This will be our last one for the morning. Proverbs 21. And I tell you what, the book of Proverbs is filled with advice on this topic. Wow, it, there's a lot in this book on it. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. And, and I've put these two together because the prodigal son is very much like what we're about to, to read here. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. So those are the finer things of life. Now here's the difference between the prodigal son and this guy. The prodigal son got one installment of money, went and wasted it. Right? It was a once off, he just went and partied it all away. This guy, right? this guy has a consistent income and he wants to live an indulgent lifestyle and he's eventually going to run out of money but he's living above his means. That, that's, what, that's where this problem will go. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You can actually turn to... Pro, well, yeah, look at verse 20. Let's, let's get the verses first. There is treasure be, to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. So he's just going to live beyond his budget. Look at chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 20. Be not among wine-bibbers, that's a drunkard, among riotous eaters of flesh. Whoo, I've met a few South Africans that fall into that, eh? Amen, amen. You need to say amen right there. Some of you need to come to the altar right now. <laughs> Riot, a riotous eater of flesh. This is Komons Brai in the Babel. <laughs> You're just a little too excited about the place. <laughs> <laughs> Be not among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. What made them poor? They lived beyond their budget. They ate too much. They drank too much. You didn't have that much money. You're trying to keep, in America we say keep up with the Joneses. Do you guys know that term here? Yeah. What do you say here? What, keep, keep, keeping up? Oh, you also have Joneses here? <laughs> I've never met any Manner Jones. <laughs> Where does he live? I've never met, does he live in Cape Town or something? Yeah. I've never met, or in Durban maybe, I don't know. I, I've never met him. In any event, you know the phrase. You're trying to keep up with the other people that live in, you know, your neighborhood and trying to live a certain lifestyle. So you, you overeat, you know, the art you just want to hang it all over the house is a bit too much. You spend it all on games and hobbies and video games and drugs, legal or otherwise, and alcohol. And, and eventually, verse 21, the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rags. Why is this? You overeat and it makes you tired and sluggish. It does. This, I mean, that's just a, a medical fact. You stuff yourself, and it makes you lethargic. You you see how this snowballs? Once you get lethargic, it's hard to get out of bed and go to work the next morning and do a good job. And then you start to get paid less because you're doing a worse and worse job, and you lose that job, but you want to keep the same lifestyle, so you max out all your credit cards and take loans and borrow money, and now you're deeper and deeper in the pit of debt. And then you start getting more and more desperate, and you start lying, cheating to keep this life. Do you see how this goes? Now, this guy comes and says, "Yo, my life is erect, and I've met him. Mr. Jones here, I've met him. (laughs) Not in South Africa, because you don't have that name, but I've, I've met this type. You say, what do you do? Do you just hand him money, get him back on his feet? Verse 23, here's what you tell him. Buy the truth and sell it not also wisdom and instruction and understanding. You don't just give him money. You say, dude, you're spending your money on all this other stuff. You need to go buy yourself some wisdom. You need to learn some lessons about how you manage your money and what you're wasting it on. This is where you'd probably preach the gospel to this guy. But nowhere does it say, give the glutton, give the drunkard money. That's not going to help him. All right, next week we're going to pick it up again. We'll, we'll start off by talking about poor planning poor financial planning, and how we are expected to handle that. So let's all stand, if you would. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll let you guys fellowship in this bright, sunshiny, wink-wink day. (laughs) Father, thank you for allowing us to look through the Scripture for truth. I pray that you bless our fellowship now and uh, the service to come. We look forward to hearing from you. God, we need that. We want that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, you guys have some fellowship.